Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we've been watching. I'm Aaron. And I'm James. And today we're talking about the 2017 film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. No deer were harmed. Um, if so if you went into this, Aaron, hoping was, for that, I was <laughs> it really didn't hoping happen. it would just be endless deer slaughter <laughs> and all of them would be sacred. So we've got a special guest with us today, uh, an expert on deer slaughter. Not a deer uh, herself. No, no. Uh, Tierney, thank you so much for being here. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about this movie and all of the deers that weren't killed. Yeah. yeah. So, Aaron, the, I obviously picked this one. I did not know you hadn't seen it. I had not. I'll, I'll tell you how I arrived at it, because I think it was probably I don't I think I texted you without any warning about it. I was just I was thinking of uh, Colin Farrell and Barry Keoghan, who are both nominated um, for their roles in the Banshees of Inishirin. Great movie. I forget if you've seen it or not. Um, so that was kind of got me thinking about them. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I haven't watched this movie in, in so long. I was also thinking about times I've laughed in the theater when no one else is laughing. <laughs> I uh, Most recent example of that is The Fablemans, which is not a comedy. Um, but a really bad movie. And uh, another good example of that was Phantom Thread, which Tierney and I saw together. Right? We did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm, thinking of the, I'm thinking of the right Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Well, that and others too. But Phantom Thread, like we were the only people laughing in the theater. And I would imagine if we had seen Killing of Sacred Deer together, it probably would have been the same experience. I would say. Yeah. With confidence. Um, yes. I did not find this film as darkly comedic as I think you two did. Um, it's definitely darkly comedic, but I was kind of gripped by uh the scenario, the situ like the characters were in, I guess you'd say. I had a feeling mm -hmm. that that would grab you. I didn't yeah. know if you would find it funny or like even good. And I guess we'll find out what you think of that uh but i just i knew that you would be engaged throughout and that was as much as i could hope for and i certainly was good tiny what's your history with the movie um so i saw it um with my roommate at the time colin who i uh do another podcast with mm. um and it was a pretty empty theater and we were also the only ones laughing uh and then uh, once it came out on like uh I assume Blu-ray or like video on demand mm -hmm. uh, watched it with our other roommate, Matt. And uh, that was more a study of him watching the movie. Cause he liked the lobster. Um, but killing of a sacred deer is like a whole different ball game. Uh, and <laughs> so I, I spent, Oh, just in general. Oh, just, yeah. So much uh, and so just watching him like try and comprehend and slowly lose his mind was a lot of fun. Um, and I don't think I've seen it again until last weekend. Nice. Um, so this would be my third time watching it. Oh. Uh, love Barry Keown, and this is one of his earlier roles, and instantly put him to like the top of my list. And I'm a, I don't know, I was 13 years old when Colin Farrell had his heyday. <laughs> so yeah. obviously a Colin Farrell fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a no brainer with the two of them together. Barry Keoghan, it looks so young in this. Like he actually, I think he passes for 16 almost. 
Yeah, even though I, I think agree. he was like 24 when he made this, something like that. He was he was what? definitely yeah yeah really. <laughs> Uh, I, I oh, meant wow. to look. I meant to look this up, but he was not sixteen. Um, the actor that plays Bob is actually twenty eight. <laughs> now? No, he's not. No, oh. No. <laughs> um, yeah, wait. What? Aaron, uh, your history with the movie is short. Uh, my history with the film is short. I knew it by reputation. I knew it was an A24 film, which um, we've talked about this before, but boy, a spinoff podcast of nothing but A24 films would be a joy. <laughs> I think uh, A24 has their own podcast, but it's probably boring. Whatever. We can do better. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but A24 always kind of whets my appetite. They're kind of known for pretty amazing stuff. So uh, I was excited to see it. Uh, I did, in fact, see it for this podcast. Uh, That is true. Uh, And I have some thoughts about the film, and I will share them during the podcast. So that is my history with the movie. Um, I I saw it in theaters, too. Uh, This was actually the second time I'd ever seen it. I never ended up watching it in the interim, which I'm surprised at because I've rewatched The Lobster a bunch. And I was really interested to come back. This I remember I liked it a lot, but I liked it less than The Lobster. And I think I still like it less than The Lobster, though. I really I like this movie even more the second time. Um, my I don't really know. Uh, I always find like it's hard for me to find times to like integrate thoughts like this uh, during. So I'm just going to say them now. I think my biggest takeaways this time were I did not even register how Kubrickian this movie is until this time in the sense of like some of like the, 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 the dread of the music, the tracking shots, like the way the camera follows Steven at a distance as he walks through the hospital, like, even though it's like higher, um, there's just something about it that made me like that kind of set like a Kubrick tone to me. And I don't know if there actually was like an, a conscious like Kubrick influence. I don't know if either of you noticed the same thing or felt that way. I definitely noticed the cinematography and just how uh, detached, I guess, a lot of it was kind of like you were saying the shots in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of what I picked up from it. How about you, Tierney? So I definitely didn't catch anything watching it but you mentioning it now is like even the colors and the way the shots are lit is Mm -hmm. very Kubrick and even the household shots could be very eyes wide shut and then the hospital stuff would be like 2001 yeah um yeah I I like that didn't even cross my mind but now that you said I was like yeah I could see it I was um and very like removed yeah. But also, oh, sorry, one of things. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. You had mentioned like years and years and years ago that The Shining is scary because it's all about atmosphere. And this mm. one uh, is just like all about tension to where I read about it. And it's like people think it's a horror movie, which mm. I'd never even because it's just tense throughout. Yeah. Which is like an ominous atmosphere. Anyway. I yeah and and that I didn't well, even when I was thinking Kubrick I wasn't even drawing the shining connection in my mind but that's de- definitely there's like such like an ominous like creepy atmosphere and 
Very, yeah. And I, I'm thinking about Eyes Wide Shut also because I love Nicole Kidman in weird roles. That is my favorite form of Nicole Kidman. I think Nicole Kidman is not very good in a lot of other things that she does. I just don't really enjoy her. Like, I didn't like her in what was it, Big Little Lies. Um, but like this, Eyes Wide Shut, even though Eyes Wide Shut is a whatever. Uh, the Northman, like, give me weird Nicole Kidman. Even though, I mean, The Northman's not like a weird movie, but the scene with her at the end uh, and her son is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I like weird Nicole yeah. Kidman. Yeah. I can't even think of her in, in normal Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Like, I think it's just like, not memorable. <laughs> I like Moulin Rouge a lot. Uh, that's probably oh, the yeah. most, the most like uh, normal Nicole Kidman that I can think of. Um, but a also probably just forgetting some things too um i and yeah other other than those like kind of vaguely kubrickian things i i want to talk about well before we get into it i want to talk about the tone i think i had a note to do that later but let's just do it now because this is an Aaron. i forgot if you'd seen the lobster or not um, no i know that also by reputation okay so this well i'll i'll, I'll kind of talk about this and uh, it coincides with like the development because this was co-written um and directed by Yorgos Lanthimos and it was co-written with I'm gonna butcher this but Eptimus Philippou um Philippou uh and they wrote Dogtooth Alps and The Lobster together all of those movies have the same or a similar kind of like tone and just deadpan delivery that is like prominent throughout this movie. And I don't like, I, how else would you guys describe the tone of this movie? Cause I, I it's so, it, I, I love it. I like, I think Yorgos, he's coming out with a movie this year and then he's, there's another one that's coming out next year or something that is also being co-written again with Epimus Philippou. And I can't wait for that because I think that those are my favorite of all. I like the favorite quite a bit. But which that was not co-written by these two. And I just I'm very excited for more of these like fucking weird <laughs> stilted line deliveries and deadpan. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? It we said it before, Tierney said it and I said it, but it I think creates a sense of like weird detachment from what's going on. Yeah. And it lends to kind of a more surreal tone. Um, when even the characters sometimes seem to be taking everything as seriously as they should and other times are not and their affect is kind of mismatched and strange. Yeah. I I think I heard somebody describe it once. I'm not going to take credit for it. Uh, that it's like the, the acting in this movie and like the lobster and like Dogtooth and the like are kind of like an alien came down and took a human suit and is being directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. <laughs> and he's just going with the first take every single time. Well, the <laughs> delivery had me thinking, the shots had you thinking Kubrick, the delivery had me thinking Lynch. Like there's something yeah, def- about these line deliveries. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it, it like lends, uh, like Aaron said, a sense of detachment. It also, and part of it is what they're saying. And the way they're kind of like their body language is also very like clipped. Um, mm-hmm. And it creates 
in my opinion, I think it creates a sense of foreboding that you don't know what's coming, but you know it's not good. I mean, yeah. there's like a good number of red herrings along the way uh, that I think paints like a foreboding atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did think of, just one more Kubrick thing, you mentioned the favorite, and that could easily be um, Barry Lyndon. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, now that now that it's all Not out, that me, you I feel like it, I'm I, just going to be your ghost is just line. like a huge Kubrick head, which it's not like that's a unique thing. But I feel like maybe he wears that Kubrick influence on his sleeve more than I ever noticed before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this movie was inspired by the Greek tragedy. Aaron, do you know how to pronounce this? Because I don't. I think it's Iphigenia. Okay, they say it during the movie, which I did not catch the first time I saw this movie. Or Iphigenia. If it, yeah, Iphigenia, Iphigenia, I think. And that's Euripides? Yeah, Euripides, mm-hmm. I know. Okay. He and I are close friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this story, it's about, uh, I don't know if he's a king yet or if he ever was king, Agamemnon, who sa- sacrifices his daughter to appease Artemis and hopefully allow his army to win their battle against Troy. Which, what a story to be influenced by, <laughs> yeah. or like, and like, and quite like, if I had, if I had read that ahead of time, like, I, I might have, I just probably put it out of my mind by the time I saw the movie because I didn't want to like know anything going in. But I remember seeing the trailers for this and wondering, I, I couldn't wait for this movie and I had no idea what it was going to be about. But if I went in knowing that, I still would not have thought this movie would have had so many like similarities. I guess. To that, I would have thought that maybe he was drawing some like very, very like vague parallels. I wouldn't have thought that this movie would actually involve <laughs> sacrificing the life of one of your family members. Well, we'll get to it, but I was thinking about it today, and I don't think it's any coincidence that his name is Martin. So, like, Martin, Mars, God of War, Vengeance. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, whoa. <clears throat> Damn. That's uh, aw- that's awesome. I mean, you're I'm sure you're right. Uh, do you have is any other the any of the other names um, doing um, anything like that or no? Stephen <laughs> Stephen in ancient Greek means I'm a regretful alcoholic. <laughs> I, knew, I knew it. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Um, we'll get into the the plot soon. So the the reception of this movie was pretty good. It wasn't like the lobster level praise. Um, it won the best screenplay award at Cannes Film Festival. It did not get any Oscar nominations. I'm not surprised by that at all. I would have maybe guessed that this like people were okay with the lobsters like dark tone and kind of what the lobster was doing a send up of. But I feel like this doesn't really have that kind of tone it's more just like pure pure, pure darkness um i, don't, I would I don't say know. barry's performance is incredible yes and should have been in consideration I, but that's it, also because i will fight for barry until my dying day. no but that, that's fair i mean the only other thing i'd seen him in i think at that time was dunkirk i think this that might have been the exact same year as this and those two combined like i don't think he talks that much in dunkirk or at least his, it, there's not a lot of a tons and tons of attention drawn on him in Dunkirk and this he's just like this Weasley fucking ass like kid 
And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't have a grasp on who Barry Keoghan is. I had to like see him in like two more things before I was like, oh my God, this guy is like, he can do anything. So. Yeah. That would be my, the only one that I would add. Would this movie, do you think this movie would have been better, Tierney, if he had been Irish, like an Irish accent in the, in the movie? <laughs> like a little leprechaun? <laughs> no. Oh God. Yeah. No, maybe not. Um, well, <laughs> leprechauns have like weird magic, which Barton, I guess, has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like a mis- they're like mischievous little troublemakers. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't want to see a fairy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um. All right. Let's 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 get into it. Let's break break the movie down. And I'm sure we'll be pausing on a couple, just at least a couple, like fucking insane moments um we should before we get into it right off at the top we should mention that we had difficulty even outlining this because the movie is very strange (laughs) so if you're listening to this and you're like wait a minute this isn't following a normal plot line um the movie doesn't so yeah just follow along with us we'll uh we'll take you by the hand it is it is like a really i like that it kind of just jumps right in to just a weird situation that we don't understand at first, but they kind of somewhat quickly explain to you. Um, I, I'm a big fan of, 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 as I'll say it probably throughout, I'm a big fan of like pretty much everything this movie does. Um, so the opening, we get this like brief overture. I do not know the music Tierney. Do you know this music? Has it been used in other things? I feel like that's something you, that you would know. <laughs> um, uh, not off the top of my head, but stand okay. by. Okay. Um, I'll come back to you. Uh, there's, we get a close up of a open chest cavity and beating heart, uh, like real close up of open heart surgery, which it, I, I think I turned to the person I saw the movie with and I was like, I don't, I don't know already about this movie, but man, did that immediately put me on edge? Cause I had a feeling this was going to be a dark movie. I didn't know it was going to be this tense throughout and like, the music combined with just this and my aversion to some of, you know, certain uh, wounds and uh, gore and such this, I, I was immediately put off and I remained that way for the rest of the movie. I thought that the beating heart. So you know how one of the parts of the heart kind of like slides over the rest and pops out. (laughs) I'm trying not to, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought that was a little hand, and I thought that it was a baby inside a womb, and they were doing a C-section. Oh, my God. And I didn't understand that was a heart until much later when we figured out he was a cardiologist, and I wanted to know where the baby was the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you imagine? It's a very different movie. Yeah, (laughs) It's a very different movie. Um, so we get our cut to titles and then we meet uh, Dr. Stephen Murphy, who's played by Colin Farrell, uh, to walking with a friend of his, Matthew, who is an, a- an anesthesiologist. And they're just talking about the water resistance of their watches. Um, just I don't know. It's it, it, The whole watch thing becomes like somewhat relevant. It kind of reappears later in the movie a couple times, including kind of very soon. Um, but it's just a, you know, immediately you're thrown back into kind of like the stilted delivery. Although I don't think that 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 like classic Yorgos um, lobster dog tooth Alps, this kind of like this. The dialogue isn't quite on the same level of stiltedness until you get a little bit further in. Um, 
And so the next thing is we cut to, and this is this movie takes place in like the in downtown Cincinnati, I believe, or in the suburbs of Cincinnati. And we have Stephen meeting with this 16-year-old boy named Martin, who's played by Barry Keown at a diner. Um, immediately we're getting like close-ups of Martin's face uh and as he like eats and drinks. He's like loudly gulping his drink. He's in kind of like almost like a nuisance to the audience already. At least I was very like put off by him. That's not a comment on the way Barry Keown looks. Although I think that Barry Keown is a pretty handsome person who is made to look very ugly in this movie. He looks like an alien (laughs) in this film. Yeah. I don't think in life. Yeah. Um, and so I think this is the the scene where there's, he's talking about like, Steven asks him but if he's going to eat his fries is the fr- the scene where he talks about his fries already where he's just like I say my fries to last because they're my favorite yeah yeah okay I think so um so we get as then we get a shot of Steven and Martin together outside sitting on I think Steven's car and Steven reveals that he's bought Martin a gift it's a watch Martin kind of responds you know with gratitude and he asks if he can give Steven a hug and this is kind of a we don't have no idea why this is happening as we're watching this. We have, we have no clue why Steven's hanging out with a boy and giving him gifts, but it's pretty, uh, pretty off putting. It does not. It's, it's not a good look. No, but that's where I think there's so many red herrings because the first time I saw this, I thought he was grooming him for like the first 30 minutes of the movie until you find out why he's hanging out with him. I'm not going to spoil anything yet. We haven't gotten that far. It is, it is like odd though. Like I would, I think that if the dialogue was delivered in a more like normal way, I would have thought the same thing, but with like, and kind of like, like, it is keep kind of keeping you at a distance and making it hard to figure out what the hell is going on, which Mm -hmm. I appreciated, even though knowing where it was going to go, I appreciated that more and the effect that the, like the stilted, delivery and such like had um even more the second time um so we get a you know a scene with steven at dinner with his family and this is kind of our intro to his family's wife anna who's played by nicole kidman and his his children are named kim and bob i don't remember the actor's names all i remember is the boy who plays bob uh is the voice of kratos's son in the god of war games oh he also looks like jenny slate oh my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he really does <laughs> it's really unnerving he does oh no oh no <laughs> <laughs> sorry derail it's, it's okay I have uh, <laughs> if we're gonna I was, derail for anyone we're gonna derail for Jenny Slate I was gonna say like I, I'm definitely gonna see that the next time I watch this but I think I will sooner rewatch everything everywhere all at once and I will be thinking about him in her minor <laughs> role in that movie instead <laughs> um, so um, this is where we get our, our first like truly weird scene uh, later that night <laughs> Steven and Anna are in bed together, and I believe they are attempting to role play with Anna as a patient asleep under anesthesia. I'm not positive about that. Is that what you, this is the read you both got too? That was the read that I got, but also I was like, is this a joke or are they seriously into this? Because <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question because no. 
like the way they react to it it's like oh haha kind of like funny a little bit but they're also into it so i i don't know i don't know if this is like a couple's inside joke or if this is this really lights their fire i think it really lights their fire or if it doesn't light yeah. their fire they are taking it very seriously and maybe they're trying it to like reignite something by playing okay, I, yeah i saw it as like that's and that kind of introduces kind of a bit of Steven's mindset, but mm-hmm. I kind of understood it to be the only time he'll have sex with Nicole Kidman is if yeah. she's faking being dead or unconscious, which is pretty fucked. Uh, yeah. I mean, no one's actually, as long as, I guess, as long as he's not like actually doing that to. People yeah. who are unconscious. We're not dead. here to kink shame on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No. As long as it's like between two consenting parties, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but the first thing that where my mind goes is why does he want to do this? He's a yeah. surgeon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's was my read was like this is the only way that they'll do it because it's very much like a prop like she lays down to proposition herself yeah like, like, it, i'm ready right and like it's weird like she has like her feet by the pillows and she's like laying and it's just it comes back later uh you know uh in a, in a actually pretty funny funny time but uh yeah i think i would agree with that read that it like this is like he seems like he's the probably a very like sexually tuned out uh and neglectful husband like maybe not cheating but disinterested maybe one step away from cheating i don't know um and I'll give you a hint there's some fan fiction involved in that uh <laughs> so steven meets martin again this time at the hospital and like martin just kind of shows up and steven's not really uh he's a little perturbed by this not like very obviously so um i think he's probably aware of how weird it looks that he's hanging out with a 16 year old boy but he sees very compelled to continue to do it. Um, Martin says he's there to just show Steven the hit the watch strap he got um, for the watch Steven had bought him. And that's when Steven's coworker, Matthew approaches and Steven explains, um, makes up a fake story about Martin saying he's a friend of his daughter. So clearly um, I, I, we could get a sense that he is lying. Um, maybe that also has to do with the way that the delivery is. I just immediately assumed he was lying the first time I saw this, um, but also just because a24 Yorgos Lanthimos uh I hear heard you know just the dark tone in general I don't really trust anything I'm watching I think we know he's lying too because the explanation he gives to <clears throat> his coworker is the same explanation that his wife gave him about one of his daughter's friends she's like oh, oh you know so yeah. and so yeah and so yeah. he just repeats it um, okay yeah yeah um, so let me get a scene of why well, I think I wrote Martin in the outline. I meant Steven. Uh, Steven is in Kim's room as she's practicing singing. Uh, and she's just, she's, she's not very good. She's not, it's, it's sad, but she's really not very <laughs> she's, good at singing. She's not very good, but he's very supportive. Um, they start talking about, uh, chore allocation. And this also comes back around in a funny way. Um, Bob is like on, I think he's on flower watering duty or something and he doesn't want to do it. Uh, He wants to walk the dog by himself at night. And I find it funny that he's like telling Bob that Bob's too young 
to walk himself walk the dog by himself at night and but his like teenage daughter is old enough to do that like that's any better i don't know <laughs> maybe cincinnati is a is a safe safe area i say let the daughters onto the streets and let come what may <laughs> um uh so we get <laughs> We then get a scene with Steven and Anna at this sort of like gala or something like Steven's giving a speech, something like that. It's not really important. Uh, this was definitely the first time in the theater that I like spit out my water. <laughs> They're talking to a coworker and Steven just like completely out of nowhere says our daughter started menstruating last week. <laughs> Are you talking to Matthew? And Matthew's like, great. <laughs> it's like a what's new in your life and that's his answer i cackled I... so loud i wrote it down again to, to discuss <laughs> i definitely understand that it's ridiculous mm. but i the only reason that i can figure out why it's in there is that it makes her attraction to martin later make more sense because when you hear she's 14, you're like, 14-year-olds are like, could either be very kid-like or more adult-like. And it's like, oh, she is no longer as childlike. She is <clears throat> menstruating. Like, she may be sexually attracted to Martin in the way that, like, mm. a 12 or 13-year-old wouldn't be. That's a good point. Do you, does it make her attraction to Martin any, like, less weird? No, I think it makes it slightly weirder that she started menstruating and the first guy she had eyes for was Martin. <laughs> the alien? Yeah. Martin the alien, yeah. Um, so with the next scene we get as Stephen and Martin, they're walking outside together. Um, he's asking Martin if he has any friends. Martin says kind of like no, um, but he considers his mom a good friend. Also, that's relevant to later. Um, I think he's talks about the importance. I think his dad was talking about the importance of like having good friends rather than having like many friends or something like that. And um, talks about how he and his mom became very close after his father died. I think, is this the first time we get a mention of his father being dead? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. I, I think so. I don't think it's mentioned in the, the diner scene um, to begin with, but um, that's when Steven invites Martin over to meet his family, which I don't know if Stephen if this, he's doing this out of guilt. Um, I don't, probably shouldn't be looking that far into this, um, but I just would imagine that's not a good idea. But it must be out of guilt. I mean, why else do it? Um, so we get you know we get a sense something's not right between Stephen and Martin. Uh, again, as a preview, fan fiction people want something else to be happening between Stephen <laughs> and Martin. Uh, it's fucking weird. But uh, so the next kind of sequence we get is Martin visiting Steven's house. He he shows up. He gives flowers to Anna. He gives gifts to Kim and Bob. I think he gives Kim like this necklace with like a uh, a, a music musical note. note on it. Yeah. And she is smitten. Oh, <laughs> Immedi- yeah. Like immediately. Oh, yeah. Uh, Edgar, <laughs> Edgar was very convinced that his gifts were covered in poison to explain things later. Oh, wow. Edgar was really like not. He was uh, the anti-Martin train like immediately. Yeah, he was pretty immediate on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bob asks Martin <laughs> if Martin has any armpit hair yet. And then asks if, yeah. he, could, if he could see it. And Martin does show him. <laughs> And it's weird to say this out loud, but that also comes back later. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think like Bob also is like, yeah, my dad is way more hair than you, though. He's got like five times as much as much hair as you. And then when he later shows off his body hair, he doesn't really have that much. Yeah. Or I'm extremely hairy. This is a Bob, like a my dad can beat up your dad kind of situation. He's like, oh, yeah, because hairiness is like what really, what really makes a man. Oh, um, yeah. Why do you that, think I have this very long beard? Exactly. It's yeah. a constant flex. And yeah. you know I can't grow one, so that's why you're just. This is a power move right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this, this is where Kim, very hour, like straightforward, says, "Martin, you've got a great body." Um, which disagree? Does he? No. I don't know. She's she's just she is fully uh, just ready for Martin. Yeah, she went zero to a hundred. <laughs> yeah. She went she went zero to Martin so fast, but and she really it's a shame <laughs> it's a shame that she picked martin of all people because she's like very very like this is what i want very matter of fact uh feel like i don't know that's not how i was when i was a teenager i didn't like just tell the people i had a crush on that i had a crush on them and compliment their body well you never met someone like martin <laughs> i never met True. anyone who took my breath away as much as martin made my yeah. eyes bleed just like martin <laughs> yeah <laughs> um Martin, uh, he asked if he could smoke. Um, they're hanging out in in, in Kim's room, uh, and she again very smitten with this. Martin is just kind of like, what does he say? He's like, I you know I I tried not to, but I, I'm addicted now. I, I I'm not even going to attempt to like redo the uh, to say the line exactly because I could never deliver it in the same way. But he's just like, I don't you know. Is he trying to be cool, or is he just like? Martin just kind of like into himself. I can't get a read on Martin. I know that's it's kind of intentional, um, but is he showing off or is he just like? No, I, I think, think Martin. So. Martin's just like a nine-year-old trapped in a sixteen-year-old's body. <laughs> that's the way I saw him, and he just kind of says stuff as it comes to his mind. <laughs> that's kind of how I read Martin. Like how a five-year-old tells stories. Yeah, like I don't think Martin is like a deep lake. I don't think there's a lot of Martin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think Martin's a pretty shallow pond. Or <laughs> puddle, really. I guess we'll never really know. But <laughs> I had him as kind of like a bit of that where he just says what's on his mind, but there's something that I always thought that he was ev- I feel like everything he says is deliberate. Like he's building yeah. a case. Uh, and so that's where, but then with the smoking, I'm like, I don't know where that would come back. So unless he is just I'm like, proven wrong. I, I, unless he's really just relishing in almost like a slow setup to a torture. Like, I, I don't even know if I get the feeling like, despite the fact that the he quite literally explains the motivations for his actions, he doesn't even seem entirely sure about those motivations. And so you can't help but wonder if he's just acting on a whim i i don't know but part of me could see an interpretation where he is just really savoring this and he's like got an evil sick plot and he loves it but at the same time like he's so the way he acts is so like nine-year-old innocent like i mean we'll get to it when he like reveals what like when when we get a little bit more reveals from the movie but like I could see an argument either way. And I think that that's like a credit to the writing and a credit to Barry Keoghan's performance, especially. Definitely. But even when we get to his motivations later, they are very nine-year-old. Like it's, it's very like 
fair is fair and we'll get to it and what that looks like for Martin. But like, even that is a very nine-year-old solution mm-hmm. to that very complicated adult problem that they find themselves in. Or even younger, you see, could, could you picture like him as like a kid playing with action figures and like enacting out this entire scenario? And like, now you're yeah. dead. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Steven asked Martin if he could say the night Martin says no. Um, and then later that night, Anna kind of grills Steven for, the first of a couple times about how Martin's father's di- father died. And Steven says it was a car accident. Uh, he was killed instantly. And then he mentioned he, he knew Martin's dad before that. And he went to the funeral and Anna was like, why didn't you invite me? And he's just like, I don't remember what his excuse was, but he did not invite her. Um, seems like a pretty bad liar. I feel like we don't really get a sense as to whether or not immediately she d- thinks this is bullshit. But I think we learn pretty quickly that she, I don't think she really trusts him very much, especially when things start going to shit. Um, Martin calls Steven later that night and tells him he had a great time and he's invites Steven over to dinner to see his mom again the first time since the hospital presumably when um, his dad was in the hospital um, we then get a very brief scene of Steven pulling out of the hospital parking garage uh, very briefly noticing Martin like uh, in like his periphery uh, he looks like he's kind of like running down the the ramp of the of the parking garage, um, which, g- g- you know, the, the movies at this point is like, we're not going to like if you if you didn't already think Martin was suspicious. I mean, let's let's just fully make you suspicious of him now. He's following him around. Um, and then we get a scene of Stephen at Martin's house. Um, he asked Martin if he was there that day. Martin says no. I think he says he was at school or something. Uh, Martin really wants to watch a movie with his mom and Stephen. Steven says no. He's clearly kind of like uncomfortable or maybe not so clearly given the nature of the delivery of the dialogue. He becomes comfortable later, though, because as they are watching the movie, Martin goes to bed early because he is a good wingman. And he leaves <laughs> Steven and his mom on the couch together. I should know his mom's played by Alicia Silverstone, who has played like two short like mom roles with not like a lot of screen time in this movie. And then the movie The Lodge and is quite good in her short amount of time in this. And I also would love to see her in more weird movies or more like psychological horror type movies. Even it, took she, me a, yeah. it took me a minute to notice it was her and I got so excited. <laughs> were you were you <laughs> just like, Alicia, I haven't seen you in so long. Where have you been? Were you disappointed when she wasn't really in the movie much longer? I actually was a little bit, yes. Yeah. Um. So she starts like, kissing uh she well she first starts complimenting his hands uh says you have beautiful hands as you do yeah nice, as, as clean as clean you. she says i guess you can't really mm-hmm. help it if colin farrell sitting next to you um yeah. i don't i don't i we didn't mention this before uh but up until his role as the penguin is this the most unattractive someone has tried to make colin farrell look in a movie that you can think of well, it depends. It depends on what you find attractive and unattractive, my friend. I'm not saying he's that he's a pretty object- good. Lo- no, I think he still looks really good. I'm, that's why I said trying to make him look unattractive. Oh, um, yeah, maybe. I feel like the movie wanted to make him look not as like insanely handsome as he normally is. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, yeah. And I think that works really well. And it's it's not he's not like that in the Lobster, but I feel like this is the most. I don't know this uh, with the exception of the penguin. Um, 
And that just seems intentional. But anyway, still a very good looking man. Uh, great hands. She starts kissing, <laughs> kissing and sucking on him because, you know, yeah, as, <laughs> as you do. Um, he gets up and leaves uh, and she kind of like says, you know, Martin wants this as much as she does. Uh, but obviously that's not going to make him come back. And that's also like super weird. In a normal movie, we would probably get like some sort of actual, well, I can't actually, I'm not even going to try to recontextualize this in a normal movie because none of these things would have led up to this in any way that's normal. But do you think, is there a significance to the movie they're watching being Groundhog Day? Martin's favorite movie and also his father's favorite? I don't, I couldn't think of any. I couldn't either. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that Groundhog Day is being trapped in the same day and the same thing again and again. And when you're stuck with guilt or vengeance, you're kind of trapped in that cycle over and over. And, you Mm -hmm. know, the cycle of vengeance is like someone avenges you and someone avenges that person and it never ends. Okay. That's just throwing it out there. Ooh. Okay. Wait, maybe. So kind of piggybacking on that, the time that Bill Murray uses his, his character uses in that movie He's first spends it selfishly, but then he uses it to like improve himself. And only then is he set free from a predicament. And I guess that. Well, no, that's not really that's no, there's no sacrifice. He doesn't really sacrifice anything. I mean, he starts he sacrifices his own ego, which is not really that. <laughs> no. Yeah. But in a, a sense, sacrifice in a sense, it doesn't Martin ask Stephen to do that later um yeah in a in a way i mean he is asking steven to give something up later that's for sure to like as a sense of like justice but i don't know it still seems like a little bit too removed from groundhog day i think what you said like works i i was just i was hoping i was going to talk myself into an even deeper connection but i can't i um i i mean it's intentional though as far as i'm concerned yeah why would they pick that movie uh of all movies i would like to know yeah i'd like to know um if what the meaning was behind that but anyway so so then we have a surprise visit uh by martin to steven's office martin is worried about heart problems he says specifically and i think this is kind of telling uh my heart aches not i'm having chest pains not my heart hurts my heart aches which is something that people say when they're experiencing emotional pain Martin makes the comparison between himself and his father because Stephen tells him, you know, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with your heart. And Martin responds by saying, well, I my that's what you said about my dad and my dad died. Um, ouch, really going for it, Martin. Um, but even after running tests, everything is completely fine. So now let's get to the chest hair scene. Let's let's discuss this. <laughs> so, um, Martin brings up the conversation that he that Bob had with him um, and says that Bob claims that Stephen has three times as much chest hair and he would like to see it. Uh, and what does Stephen do? He, he obliges. He obliges. And this is where we still don't fully understand the relationship between Stephen and Martin at this point. But here I'm like, if this is not pedophilia, I really don't know what is. This is also um, like more than that nine-year-old energy you were talking about. Because he's like, okay, yeah, you do have more hair, but not three times more. Yeah, exactly. And I think now it's like having seen and understood the movie, it just shows how kind of complete Martin's control over Steven is becoming. 
Like I'll even, even at work, I'll remove my shirt and show you my chest hair just to get you to like, just to comply with what you want from me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Martin confides in Steven that his mother is attracted to him, which yeah, duh. And Martin tells him that they would make a great couple. Steven tells him, no, that's crazy. I'm happily married. I've told you that. Um, but Martin still thinks that uh, they would be a good match. It's uh, I yeah, never since you mentioned that, like the him being like a nine year old, I can't get that out of my head because he really like he's, I don't know, I can just picture like an actual like child in like Martin replaced with an actual child in this movie. I wouldn't like it as much, but I think it would work. Like all the dialogue would work just the same. Well, not all of it would work, or maybe I guess arguably I'm thinking about the scene later with Kim, and that just some thoughts on that. It's a a fine line to walk with Martin because he has to be sympathetic and you can't make him too vindictive. So I think making him childlike is kind of the fairest way to go about it. Yeah. 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 But um, we get Stephen and Anna at Matthew's house and that's intercut with Martin calling Stephen wondering where he is. Um, Martin is really hung up on that apple pie. He's telling him how the apple pie is getting cold. He wants him to eat the apple pie. He really is obsessed with the apple pie at this diner. So there's, this is like one of what, four different, like, like fixations this movie has on food. Like there's fries drinks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fries, lemon, lemonade, spaghetti. Oh yeah. Lemonade. The apple pie. What else? Maybe that's jerking, it. Jerking your dad off while he's asleep. <laughs> oh, wait, that's not a food. Oops. Um, <laughs> wow. So if, Kim, I don't know who listens to this podcast, like, because they don't want to watch a movie and just wants to like follow along with the plot. But you really just dropped one <laughs> hell of a, spo- of a uh, spoiler for later. Anyway. Uh, Kim arrives home from choir practice uh, and she tells Steven that Martin gave her a ride on his friend's Mm. borrowed motorcycle. Um, He yells at her for not wearing a helmet and she says, no, um, Martin gave her his. So romantic. We see Martin watching their house from the outside parked on the motorcycle. And this is one of the only times I think we see that Steven calls him uh, and Martin doesn't answer. Yeah. And to me, yeah to me that him. Was, yeah that was like a turning point i felt like for their relationship like <clears throat> martin has now found this new way to get to steven he doesn't have to get to yeah. steven directly he kind of has now kim in his back pocket playing hard so to that, get um yeah yeah um so we get bob make him jealous wake, yeah yeah make him jealous um so we get bob waking up um they're kind of having their morning routine and steven goes to get him and he says dad i can't get up and colin farrell's like come on come on let's go um but he actually physically can't move his legs so they bring him to the hospital they run a battery of tests um colin farrell pulls all the strings to get the best doctors but nothing appears medically wrong with bob so they decide to release him. They kind of chalk it up to being psychosomatic and uh, they let them go home. But on the way out, Bob collapses. So we get a shift over to Kim, who is once again driven home by Martin. This is a very short scene. It's kind of a slow-mo mm-hmm. with them riding through downtown Cincinnati. No helmets. No Both helmets this time. Liar. 
Um, and we just get a close up of her face and you can just see this weird sense of ecstasy on it that I have to like chalk up to being a 14 year old in love. Uh, <laughs> but she is really into him. I, I've had crushes when I was younger. I've had crushes on the wrong people, but I don't think, <laughs> I think all of those people were probably more well adjusted than Martin. I would certainly so. didn't smoke cigarettes uh, no. at age 16. No, no, no. Um, yeah. We get, <laughs> did you, did you have a Martin esque encounter tyranny? Oh no, I was agreeing. I didn't, <laughs> uh, that wasn't what I was doing when I was 14. I was very okay. much like imagining Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Oh, so you were opening those uh, doors. Yeah. You were yeah. not riding around yeah. downtown oh Cincinnati smoking how, cigarettes with a over Martin. under or like how many dreams involved or started with him opening doors <laughs> in a, to a I room mean, you the, were in <laughs> a dream of my future. Oh, <laughs> um, but a ridic- yeah. probably a ridiculous amount. I mean, the number of times I watched that trailer was a ridiculous amount, so. <sighs> Yeah, it's back when you had to go to QuickTime.com. Oh my anyway. god! Yeah. Whoa, oh yeah. Time. And then you would download the trailers. I remember yeah. my dad was like super into like burning DVDs and stuff, and we would we downloaded the trailers, and we put them on DVD, and we would go to our TV upstairs, and we would watch the trailers over and over again. Well, yeah, but your your dad's a big ringhead, right? He is a big ringhead. That's yeah. true. And his, yeah. you know, complaining about uh that. Aragorn never fell off a cliff in the two towers because that's the kind of thing he would complain about. Oh, to be fair, I complain about that yeah. too. I but mean, it gives us that it moment. It really makes sense, but we do get the yeah dripping wet. This is a it's a big open the doors. It's a big tangent, but I feel like they started with that image and how cool it would be to have him <laughs> like open the door and then tell everyone that the uh-huh. Orokai were coming. And then they just wrote everything else after that. <laughs> they, they're like, yeah, all right. They work backwards. How do we get them there? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Shall we dive back into the adventures of Martin? Yes. Yeah, where are we? <laughs> all right. So uh, we have Martin visiting Bob at the hospital yet again. He's, uh, oh, he's visiting. Yeah, he's visiting Bob at the hospital. That's kind of his excuse this time. But he says, you know, I'll let you have your time with Bob. But he secretly tells Colin Farrell's character, uh, meet me upstairs in the cafeteria. Uh, Stephen kind of shoes him off. And he says, no, you're going to want to come for this. So um, upstairs, Martin gives Stephen a Swiss Army knife. Oh, but he ruins the surprise. What a good (laughs) fall. He gives it to him and he says, I got you a a Swiss Army knife. It's like, dang. (laughs) Oh, Martin. Um, So it'll be things like that. Things like his idiotic like his idiocy with the Swiss army knife contrasted with what's about to come next. And yeah, it's like Martin's kind of impossible to read. So <laughs> he tells Steven that critical moment. We both knew someday or must come someday would come someday. Let me do that again. That critical moment. We both knew would come someday. He um, it's, it's like an insanely nonchalant and like monotonous delivery, like a lot of dialogue, but it's almost like, He's rushing to get through it. He's like, he's like, no, it, it's like, it's serious. Like the critical moment we both knew would come someday. Here it is. The time is now. Like, he's well, like, the other thing too is Steven's telling him to like hurry it up. So he obliges Steven to hurry it up, but he hurries up like the most important part. I love 
before you say what he says next, I love that this is delivered in the way that it's delivered instead of the more like overacted, guess what, we're in a horror movie type delivery that you might see in the average movie. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So Martin tells Steven that to balance Mm -hmm. things out, Steven must kill a member of his family to compensate for Martin's father. He tells him that his entire family will get sick and that the illness will come in three phases. First, they'll get paralysis of the limbs. Second, they will refuse food to the point of starvation. And three, they will start bleeding from the eyes. So Stephen doesn't really know what to think. Um, and next we get uh, before. Sorry, before we go to that, I had, I had two thoughts on that. One, well, one was I laughed. Uh, I, I, I cackled in the theater and again at the line. I have nothing more to say unless you have any questions. <laughs> unless you have any questions. That's pretty great. Um, <laughs> but I, more on just like the kind of the delivery of this. And Aaron, you mentioned David Lynch earlier, and I don't know why I didn't think of that at all. Both times watching this, but like people acting normal in a very absurd situation, or even if like, even if Martin has some power that he's going to be doing this with no one else in the room knows that. And so like, he's acting very normal in a, in a, while explaining something very hard to believe. And I like that kind of like creepy. I feel like that's, that's a little bit of like David Lynch energy too. Yeah, definitely. Um, like surrealist scenarios, but delivered in a very deadpan style. Acting like everything's normal in a very abnormal situation will always kind of get under my skin in a good that's way. That's terrifying. It freaks yeah. me out. Yeah. Um, so we get a scene of Steven at the hospital. He's visiting Bob again, and he's bo- brought Bob's favorite treats, cinnamon donuts. He offers them to Bob, but Bob does not want them. So he tries cramming the donuts into his mouth, um, like really tries, like really smashing the donut into the kid's teeth. And it kind of shows that he's he's really losing his grip at this point. And I want to ask you guys, at this point, how much do you think he really believes Martin? Ooh. Oh, man. How's that? Hmm. I think he didn't believe him at all when he first told him. And then he walks into the room and sees that Bob's not eating. And then starts to believe him but doesn't want to believe him which is why he force feeds him yeah yeah or he thinks maybe bob is like allied with martin they're playing a prank on him or some something yeah because he doesn't he think i feel like he thinks at multiple times i think he insinuates that bob is faking it he does as a joke Yeah. yeah um yeah uh but i also laughed at him shoving donuts into his son's mouth which i feel like is maybe the least funny of the things I laughed at. No, I didn't laugh. I at that. I don't know. I, did not laugh at I that. laughed at a lot of things. I laughed kind of throughout the whole movie uh, again. Um, but uh, this next scene, uh, I did not laugh at uh, the second time. I did laugh in the theater because I was extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, we get Martin and Kim in Kim's room together. Um, Kim decides to take her clothes off and pose on the bed for Martin. Um, not all of her clothes not all of her clothes she is 14 um and he tells her that she's the prettiest girl in the world which again is a very naive sweet thing to say um but that it's getting late and he needs to go 
So this is another question. Um, do you think that his attraction to her is genuine or he's using her? Uh, I think he's using her. Using her. And I have a related question that I would argue is more important. Please. Uh, well, I don't know if it's really a question. I think that her actions in this scene more than imply she has seen her parents in bed together because she yeah. lays down the exact same way that her mom does. It's oh, yeah. I was thinking she that puts it's, her feet by the pillows and lays down with her head on the other side of the bed. I was thinking which is so disturbing that I didn't connect those dots. I more thought, wow, that's I weird. didn't either. I just oh. thought it was a weird coincidence or like a weird synchronicity. It could, it could be. Sense. I mean, in the in the world of this movie where the things happen that happen, like it could very well be that. But yeah. that's I I, I don't Probably know if I thought not. it the first time, but I'm I'm guessing that she's like seen her parents and she thinks this is what sex is or something or what being sexy is. Oh, um, she's but yeah, to, like proposition him. This this scene makes me very uncomfortable. Uh. Tierney, you guys just did Moonrise Kingdom on your podcast, and you made a great point. Uh, well, I you had like a, 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 a I don't know. If, I'm not going to call it a gripe. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth about like. Kind yeah, of, I literally said it was my gripe with. The oh, movie, you did. So. You did. Okay. Uh, it's just so, quoting me. Okay. Um, with uh the kids and like the boner sequence and whatnot, and like I I I felt like that level of uncomfort like here, but it was also just because. Also, the the actress who played Kim is like was like sixteen, and I did check. Barry Keoghan was twenty four when he made this. Wow, yeah. yeah, it's even the age dynamic of fourteen and sixteen is uncomfortable. Yeah, let yeah. alone sixteen and twenty four. Which but. I like triple checked really this because I was like, is that a thing you can do in filming a movie? Like it's it's I don't know, like. It, it, it's just like the level of her undressing to a point was like too far. If she yeah. hadn't done that at all, I would have been less uncomfortable, but still uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm trying to think, are they ever in the same shot together? Um, I think they, oh, that's a good point. Oh, probably not. Then I feel like you can't do that then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I mean I, I don't know yeah. but I wouldn't be if if it was an eight year age difference I wouldn't be surprised if they just did like she just kept her clothes on while she was um with yeah. Barry and then to film the other lines they had him go away yeah but yeah could be uh, it definitely is uncomfy for sure yeah. yeah. Um, so at back of the hospital, they perform more tests on Bob and they still can't find anything medically detectable. Um, so they still don't know what's wrong with him. Um, Steven is going for a walk with Bob in the wheelchair and he decides that he's going to try and get him to walk. <laughs> uh, this is very uncomfortable. So he picks Bob. Up oh, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> okay. This makes me deeply uncomfortable. He picks Bob up and has to basically drag him around like a rag doll. James, stop laughing. This is really sad. He has to drag him around like a rag doll um, until Bob drops to the floor. Or he drops Bob to the floor. Bob does not catch himself because he can't. So um, Stephen tells him that they're going to play a game. Um, and the game is that whoever tells the best secret wins. 
Um, would anyone like to take Steven's secret, Tyranny or James? <laughs> uh, I could do it if you don't want to, Tyranny. <laughs> um, go for it, because I probably will butcher it in some capacity. I, I mean, I might too. Uh, but I also I do want to say before. Well, okay, I'll I'll go back to the other thing I was going to say. But yeah, uh, so he tells uh Bob a story about how he had just started masturbating um but not, god this is really hard to get through uh not much ejaculate came out <laughs> a little so, drop a little says. drop he might so he wanted a point of comparison so he went to his dad while his dad was asleep and jerked him off to completion which i don't think is possible if someone is asleep <laughs> i also do not That's think what- that is possible I texted Jim that I was like, I just find it hard to believe he didn't wake up. <laughs> I yeah, don't. I, yeah. like, I feel like. I don't think that's possible unless he was like unconscious. Then maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm just going to say again, I was cracking up during the when I saw this in the theater. I didn't crack up on rewatch. I think just being in the theater and not knowing what to expect kind of just I, I was laughing at so many things that were uncomfortable because I was. Oh, just, yeah. It's like an uncomfortable laugh as well. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I don't know how to react. So you giggle like the the Stephen like grabbing him going, OK, Bob, let's go for a walk and just like grabbing him and dragging him around. Like I thought that was <laughs> intended to be physical comedy. It was uh, not. I don't I, think it was. Uh, I laughed he, as well. But agreed. part of it is like I've. I've had younger siblings and been babysitting and mm. all of a sudden the kid doesn't want to go somewhere and they just turned into like a cinder block with legs. Yeah. Uh, and so there is like an element of like hopping them along to be like, okay, we need to get in the car. And it just reminded me of, reminded me of that. Yeah. In some capacity, whether right. I've been the child or the adult. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that the whoever tells the best secret uh, scene is also just very, very funny. Yeah, it was it was uncomfortable. Like why he um, could have picked so many secrets. Why did he well, pick that I'm, one? Yeah, that's the thing. There's this whole undertone of like weird child sex stuff. Like like Tierney pointed out, like his whole relationship mm-hmm. with Martin feels very much like grooming. And in a sense, he is grooming him, but obviously not mm-hmm. for pedophilia. But he's grooming him to almost accept what Steven did to his father, um, which is also like kind mm. of perverse in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even the way crazy too that the secret. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even the way later that um, Anna and Steven talk about it, she says, how long have you been seeing him? Mm. Um, which is a really weird phrasing. That's how you would phrase it. If it was romantic, it's, it's very strange. There's like this weird undertone yeah. of like, yeah. like inappropriate sexual, stuff i don't know what to make of it do you guys some of it's an overtone with like nicole kidman on the bed that's true and yeah if her daughter's mocking it what were you gonna say earlier teeny um it's gone now what was it uh i can't remember look at the outline try and jack my memory (laughs) Um, but while Tierney's looking, uh, the last thing in this scene is that, uh, Bob promises that he doesn't have any secrets and he promises that he is not faking this illness. Yeah. 
So what a wasted game that was. Uh, yeah. Now Bob will be scarred forever for with the, well, with this. Or he'll be scarred. <laughs> yeah, me not forever for a period of time. Well, it depends on if. Yeah. 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 I was just going to say, why wouldn't the secret be I killed Martin's dad? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a pretty big secret. Yeah. Own- yeah. <laughs> One of those things uh, immediately seems like it'd be easier to admit if I was in that situation. And I, it's the murder one <laughs> or it's, yeah. the, it's the negligence one. Oh. Yeah. The next scene we get is Kim at choir practice. Um, it's uh, Christmas time, I think. Or they're doing Carol of the Bells. So I just, is there any other time to sing it? I don't think so. Uh, And she collapses uh, at choir practice. And so next thing we see her in the hospital, she is refusing food. And Steven is kind of like had it. He like rushes over to Martin's house. No one answers the door. He's banging on the door. I did laugh at open the door. I will smash it down. I will fuck you and your mother just the way you want. it. That's how they want it. I think that's what they want. Yeah. Um, I guess that that is like I, I despite the fact that I, I literally wrote this down in the outline like the fuck you and your mother I just paid attention to the mother part and I guess it is like more of an overtone there too like yeah Martin's hitting on him and stuff it's so god it's so weird I like I think I like this movie less if there is any when I think about an attraction uh, like a, a Martin and Steve and anything like any remotely sexual or groomy or anything like that. I just like, yeah, it's just weird it, that I never really thought of it. Like really thought of it that way. I guess I, not until now. And I probably will next time. So what I'm saying is you guys made me like the movie less. No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> but I, I mean, I just kidding. We made the point as a joke, but it's true. Like what? No, know, it, the, it really is. The script writers could have put the secret could have been anything. They made it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why. Also, he's telling his very young son this. And is it like, yeah. do, like the subtext is like, do you want your son to jerk you off? Like, what? Oh. what is this? Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Oh, no. I don't know. Let's Damn. move on. Let's, Damn it. let's leave this now. Um. Suddenly, this movie is like so much less funny to me. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is not as funny as the lobster. I, I do remember that. Definitely not. Um, but I did remember, like, when I my takeaway from watching it this time was like, damn, this movie's so dark, but it's so funny. Uh, and now, I think I'm just gonna be thinking about this every every time I watch it, and it's not a bad thing. Um, anyway, so Anna grills Stephen about his relationship with Martin again, um, and Martin's father, and he she very bluntly asked Stephen if he was drinking the day operating on Martin's father. Steven is like, I had like a couple drinks, uh, but it had nothing to do with the death. And I think he was just like, it's never, he might say like, it's never the surgeon's fault or does he blame the anesthesiologist? Cause then later the anesthesiologist yeah. blames the surgeon. Yeah. Um. So Kim, uh, we're back in the hospital and Kim asks if Martin had come by when she was sleeping. Um. She then gets a phone call from Martin who is out in the parking lot. Uh, we don't hear his side of the conversation, but we kind of hear we hear her side, and she's like, do you really think that's possible? And then she gets up, even though her legs were not working, she gets up and stands by the window while on the phone with him. And then after he hangs up, she is paralyzed again, which is, I thought it was really neat. Um, 
very creepy. Um, Bob is then wondering like why he can't stand <laughs> and is like, oh, because Kim's older. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's such a mom thing to say because she doesn't actually have an explanation. It's just like, I don't know. She's older. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess I should just admit this now also. Like anytime these kids are like crawling around with their legs that don't work. <laughs> Stop. That I is was, not funny like, either. Look, I don't laugh at that anytime. I laughed in the movie because I just I'm uncomfortable and I think that he's trying to be funny. I think he's trying to be funny. <laughs> I don't know. It's I want I want to like draw comparisons to the lobster, Aaron, because you haven't seen it, but there's similar things in the lobster that are definitely, I guess, more in defense of the lobster more overtly intended to be funny that are really dark than this movie but if i think when you watch the lobster you will understand a little bit more about why i went into this like kind of ready to laugh at anything either from like being uncomfortable or just the dark humor but i i'm not going to say i am blameless and that i don't have a fucking sick sense of humor things like this so yeah but that's fair because you know like i go into films by directors or writers i know with certain preconceived notions and i went in with zero so i i took this much more at face value maybe than you two did but again you two have history with this writing directing team and laughing at things that are uncomfortable i had only seen the lobster before i saw this i had and even to this day i've only seen Mm -hmm. He's two and the favorite. I've never seen any of his older stuff. Um, but I think there's something about, for me anyway, with dark humor, there's something about when you, um, it's either like a, it's a human experience that everybody has experienced um, and no one likes to talk about something like death is something that I'll laugh a lot at. Mm. Or if it's something you can't explain which is like the worst type of dark humor, which it sounds like what Jim has now. Yeah. Where it's like, I can't explain why this is funny, but it is funny. Um, but also dark humor is going to piss. It, like some people are going to get pissed off. Some people are gonna be like, how could you laugh at that? And then some people will just be laughing really hard at it. Yeah, it's true. I, I, the I was dark humor throughout. I laugh at a lot of things that most other people don't laugh at. So I don't know why I'm on my high horse. At no, I, no, I, mean, I don't think either of, us, either, either of us, either, either of us are looking at it that way. I, I was unsure going in whether or not you were going to laugh at the same stuff that I laughed at. And I feel like I have like a good grasp on your sense of humor. Um, if I may be so bold, uh, but this, but that maybe it says a lot that I, I, despite that, I did not know whether this movie was going to really tickle your funny bone or not. Like it, did. it tickled my funny bone in a few spots. There are some pretty great line readings. The menstruation <laughs> one was just incredible. And I think that the other thing with the dark humor and laughing at certain things is like when you've set me already in that mood, when I'm like ready to burst at any second even if the line isn't funny, like I will just, I, I'm kind of like already, it's like I'm on the edge of my seat in terms of like, I will, I'm ready to laugh at, at really anything. And so I, when like yeah, Bob's that. flopping around, I just can't, I can't help it. I can't help it. Um, so, I mean, I think Bob specifically is also because he 
kind of picked the short straw with the whole yeah. family dynamic. And so he's continuously just getting shit on <laughs> by whatever this mystery disease is that it yeah. is an element of like, you, know, you can't. I mean, Kim didn't get a donut shoved in her face. <laughs> yeah. So, like, Bob just keeps getting fucked. Yeah. Is, wait, is this. Is this when he? I, I don't remember if this cap comes later, but I'll say it now. Is this when Steven is just like Bob? If this is an act, I will take my electric razor, I will shave your head, and I will make you eat your hair. Eat yeah, I will make you eat human hair. <laughs> I forgot about that. Or Bob, Jesus. <laughs> Bob just get <laughs> on. I think you also need to be in the mood for dark humor. Like sometimes, yeah. You can laugh at something one time, and then the next time you watch it, you're like, this is the least funny thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And then you watch it a third time, and you're like, oh, it's funny again. I think, yeah. I, I think I'm more sensitive to it just because I work with like kids and little kids. But um, Edgar thinks that children being hurt is hysterical. <laughs> um, he truly loves it. He follows on Instagram a page called Kids Getting Hurt, and it's just videos of kids getting hurt. <gasps> Seriously? Now, they're okay. They're all okay. Which makes it fun. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm just, I think I just like immediately pictured like what could be on that site. So maybe, maybe I'm right there uh, with him. Um, did he like this movie? He did. Yeah. Okay. Did he, he did. think it was funnier than you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so happy. I can't wait to talk to him about it. Yeah. Um, he would love to talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Anna tells Kim that she doesn't want Kim to see uh, Martin ever again. I uh, threatens her and and she takes away uh, Kim's phone. Uh, Anna then confronts Stephen again, saying, like, our kids are getting worse, like, not better. And Stephen at this point is has this like weird, like denial going on. Um, or I don't know if he's just putting on a fake face of denial, but internally he like knows exactly what's happening or if he actually is trying to is can convince himself that everything's fine. Um, I think it. I get more of a sense of the latter. Um, yeah, but either way, I, I yeah. feel like he's trying to talk himself and her into believing this. But it's yeah, I like. And again, this is like something you would get in a more normal, like well-adjusted movie. You would get like a scene of like Stephen being like, "I'm a man of medicine. This is not possible. This is like it, you don't have all that like explicitly stated. It's all like internal in his mind, and we don't even know if he would go through that." Um line of thinking because nobody in this the world of this movie acts or thinks in a normal way no from we can tell um and anna so is, she's kind of recognized that martin can is doing this i don't know if steven is entirely bought it even though steven was the one who was directly told by martin what he was going to do essentially he didn't i guess martin didn't say that he was going to do it he just said this is what's going to happen but I don't see how any any other way you could take this. No, I don't know. I don't know either. I would just assume Martin was doing it if it was me. Um, but Anna then visits Martin's house. Um, and this is this is the spaghetti scene. Uh, Martin lies and just kind of just fucking with Stephen more and tells Anna that Stephen was like constantly flirting with his mom. And she very bluntly asks, like, why? Do my do I do I and like me and my children have to pay the price for what Steven did? So she's fully just blaming Steven, as she should. And Martin does not answer right away. He starts 
monologuing as he's eating this fucking spaghetti. <laughs> and he is just, he's like talking about like, you know, people always said that I, like I, you know, I eat spaghetti the way that my dad does. And like, it, he was so convinced that the way he eats spaghetti is unique. Um, and then when he realized it wasn't, he was so upset and he, I think he implies or explicitly states that he was more upset by that than when he found out his dad was dead. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. That, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of this. Um, he then, he then says like, you know, he kind of comes out of that little monologue and he's like, it might not be fair what's happening, but it's the only form of justice that I can think of. I, is there a point to the spaghetti eating and this little like monologue other than to just be weird and unsettling? There probably is. I don't know. What do you think, Tierney? Um, I think the, like, the reason, like, I could understand why it would be more upsetting to find out the spaghetti stuff than to find out that he's dead mm-hmm. in, like, a very like flattened view of things in the sense of my dad, like this thing that I thought I shared with my dad, I actually is the way that everybody does it. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of like, maybe you're not as close with him as you thought you were. Uh, and that would hurt more mm. than dying to him. Like for some reason it makes sense in my brain. Um, but I have, as far as why he's eating spaghetti, your guess is as good as mine. I thought this scene was very funny. Yeah. Like this was this was my equivalent of the children dragging themselves down the hallway. <laughs> uh, like every single time he took a bite of spaghetti, I was just losing it. Um, and I know it's like supposed to be one of the most haunting scenes in the movie, but I thought it was so funny. <laughs> There's a um, scene later that I definitely thought was hilarious that I don't think was meant to be funny. So we'll we'll get to that. I have a, I have a guess. I, my guess is yeah. we probably laughed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's a safe bet that I laughed at whatever you laughed at. Um. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> she's leaving. He's like, have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's like, it's not, it's, it's, I can you think of another character? I don't. Not that we need to spend much time like trying to go through our entire like film knowledge and think of a, a character like this, but like he's not nefarious, like or he's like the least nefarious villain that I can remember in a movie. Like he he says these things and he's not like you know like someone would say have a good day like in an evil way or they'd say it in a way that's so blatantly like mocking and sarcastic, but. He's, he's just like have a good day like is is he is this intentional does is he like i don't he think fucking with him it goes back to that question i don't think he is again i think he's this is just genuinely his temperament i think yeah. he's fucking with them with kim but i don't think this is him messing with her hmm. i think he's just a vessel for whatever it is that's happening um hmm. and part of it is like i did read some stuff after and so there are like theories on who he represents etc but i think he's just the vessel for that to happen and if we're going to bring it back to kubrick in the same way that the little boy in the shining i'm forgetting his name danny Danny. is danny thank you is just like a vessel for whatever spirits are around Hmm. um 
just in like a where he's like still his own person but it's like this is beyond my control you just have to do this now you just have to kill one of them <laughs> to make it right i do you, do you guys like this movie more or less if you go down that road and think about like trying to explain what's happening Does i would like ruin things does it ruin things for you? And this actually kind of overlaps a little bit with fan fiction. Uh, it's but. it's the same thing with um with Groundhog's Day, right? We're like in the, the theatrical cut, there's no explanation for why he's experiencing this, but there's like a fuller cut where like a witch casts a spell on him. What? No yeah, way. there is. I swear to you, the a original witch? Script, <laughs> the original script, someone like a witch casts a spell on him. That is true. Look it up. Like in an early draft of the script, but they didn't film yeah, that. I don't believe they filmed it. But that okay. was like the original version. Whereas, like, that's so <laughs> stupid. Whereas, yeah. you know, the sometimes the further you, down you go, the worse it is. The same thing with Hereditary. I think we got just enough in Hereditary without having to delve into like pine right. worship. Um, I think this is enough. Okay. What about what do you think, Tierney? Uh yeah, I think getting into like specific details would kind of take the fun out of it and mm-hmm. sort of what makes it compelling to watch. Uh yeah. but I do think and part of it is I didn't know this the Greek well, first of all, I didn't even know it was based on a Greek story I, I until this time I watched it. Uh and like I did a little bit of reading and learned more about the story and then who, like I said, each person might represent and at what stage. And that did make it more interesting to watch just in the sense where it's like, I mean, I can, should I just, okay. Should I just say it? Yeah. yeah. Basically, as I'm sure you guys would imagine, he is Artemis. Martin is Artemis. Mm -hmm. And so he is kind of, and I want to say Artemis is a goddess of war and so he is. Um, she's goddess of the moon battle. and the hunt. Oh, the hunt. Yeah, hunt. Well, never mind then. But just seems like well, actually, that would make sense if he's just playing with his prey. Yeah. But it just adds an element of like power to him. Mm-hmm. That... Well, she she was also the goddess of the moon, and it's almost like I said this to Edgar last night, like. <gasps> Martin's almost like a force of nature. Like you mm-hmm. can't argue. He's like a storm. Like you can't argue with him. He's like the moon. Like he's just unmovable. He's this fixed thing. Um, and, or what he's doing to them is this fixed thing. It's not like he almost, it's almost to him. Like it's out of his control too. Like you were saying, Tierney, like this thing is happening. I'm powerless mm-hmm. to f- stop it. Like it's up to you now. Yeah. Yeah. And then Steven's Agamemnon. As... Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 But that's just like the extent <clears throat> of, of digging into it that uh, I can do without like if, losing myself entirely. Like if there was a scene where like Martin is like visited by some vision or something and it's like this is so overt. It would never be like this. It's like, but you're going to be my vessel. I would be like, I would like this movie so much less. It's just that's that's oh. one extra bit of information. I I don't need that. And so it would it would make it less creepy. Yeah. It's, I just think oh I definitely think, yeah. Just like some random boy who has this power and like is has a childlike uh idea of like the perfect kind of revenge and fairness. Uh, it's just terrifying. It's not. It's actually revenge. I I don't even think Martin looks at it as revenge. 
he just he, he sees it as truly fair and does not care about the fact that it involves death. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So, did we say? Did did he say in that very first scene? He's like, you need to kill one of them, or they're all going yeah. to die. Right. He yeah. he yeah, does he say does. it in that exact same scene. He's like, just it all stop if you just kill one of your family members. He has to kill a member of his family. And he was like, you'll be fine, but you need to kill one of your family members. Okay. He I says all when that happens has to do is stay calm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it was just telling him, it's like, don't worry, you're not going to die, but yeah. your family will definitely die. Um. Anyway, so where where did where did we leave? Uh, that's uh, a good tangent, though. Oh, yeah. Um. So Anna then has lo- so Kim and Bob are discharged from the hospital and go home. Um. They're It's like they're in hospice care <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Basically. Um, uh, what? I was just going to say they say that there's nothing they there's nothing they can do medically for them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So like we know for a fact that, you know, this is all Martin. Yeah. So Anna has lunch with uh, Stephen's friend, Matthew, the anesthesiologist, uh, to find out more about what happened to Martin's dad. Matt and, uh, Matthew is like, uh, yeah, it's the surgeon's fault. <laughs> um, but he kind of says, like, what am I going to get in return? Um, and we then cut to her giving him a handy in the car, yeah. which um, the I, if, I'm nit- effect, if I'm nitpicking, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Oh, really? I thought the horrible part was her unwavering eye contact. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Just staring at him. Um, I do. <laughs> I did laugh at this, too. Uh, the first time, not this time. This for this time, I was I was actually really uncomfortable with the eye contact part uh, rather than laughing at it. Um, but I that's another thing that when you throw that in like a dark comedy, like this, like a completely I don't know I don't know how to put it just like some completely emotionally detached sexual encounter is just funny as long as it's like not you know the level of discomfort of like the Kim and Martin scene like this is funny a nice a nice detached hand job um so we then get uh, Anna and Steven together uh in the kitchen and Steven's being more like optimistic um and to a really a degree that's driving Anna nuts. Um and she's like the kids are like doing better I guess they all they needed was a change of scenery. Uh and so she really lets him have it. Um she confronts him about Martin's mother. Um just like this whole situation is your fault and he's just like <laughs> what does he say is like oh actually to solve this we just need like a crocodile tooth and, and some pubes of a virgin. <laughs> Where are they? And he's like running around. He's like, demolishing supposed, the kitchen. Yeah, it's throwing things around. I, like, I suppose you don't, you don't have any pubes, do you? Oh, God. shit. I guess, I guess we're shit out of love. But it's also just like the most passive destroying of a kitchen. Yeah. It's just it's, like, oops, oops. Yeah. As opposed to like throwing right. properly and it's the way you destroy a kitchen in a Yorgos Lanthimos <laughs> deadpan movie. Yes. That's so, true. so weird. Um, so that we, the last thing we see uh, for that kind of day, like that sequence is Steven is like awake in the middle of the night and he is contemplating something. Yes. And we, we find out shortly what he is contemplating. 
So um, Stephen wakes Anna up the next morning and he brings her downstairs. Tellingly, when Stephen reaches to nudge her, you can see that he has some pretty gnarly bruises on his knuckles. So he goes down and shows her that he has kidnapped Martin and has him locked away in the basement. And his plan is to not let Martin go until he heals the children. Uh, Martin, in another great Martin line, says, you have to let me go. My mother will be worried sick. Um, I should say that I think this these like last uh well these last like 35 minutes are just like really funny. <laughs> Why yeah. Thinking things are funny. <laughs> um, well, I'll go on record as saying the ending of this movie I found very funny. Oh my god. I, so okay, funny. when we get to the ending, there's an ending that I thought was happening that didn't that I thought would have been so amazing. So we'll, we'll talk about it. I'd love to find that. Yeah. Out. Yeah. But um, so Stephen calls Martin a murderer. He said, oh, yeah. Would your mother be proud of you? You're a murderer. Um, but Martin points the blame back on Stephen and says, like, well, we're kind of in this situation because of you. Um, so he gives Martin or Martin gives Steven an example, um, and he bites Steven's arm really hard and then asked him, should I apologize? Should I rub the wound and tells him that, no, that would probably make it hurt even more. And that there's only one way to make them both feel better. So Martin takes a massive bite out of his arm and rips a chunk out of it, (laughs) spitting it out. (laughs) Let me get this piece of poetry by Martin. Do you understand? (laughs) It's metaphorical, my example. It's a metaphor. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I was laughing ahead of time at that line. I the biting your own arm and like spitting a chunk out. That was so gross. But yeah. But the line was so funny. Yeah. So Stephen almost kills Martin after shooting him in the arm. We get this great shot of she shoots him, shoot him in the leg. I think. Oh really? Or he he shoots him in the in the legs. I think later Anna's like tending to the wound. I think it's like oh, on his, you're right. On his I, I saw the giant circle on his arm, and I thought it was a bullet oh. hole, but that must have been his bite. Yeah, that was his bite. Yeah, that was just the chunky to count. <laughs> it's like um, they had to add like the spitting part. Like that was the worst yeah. part. Yeah. Oh. But we get this great so shot gross. where Anna's cleaning blood out of the back of Stephen's car, and we just hear the gunshot, uh, yeah. which I love. So she goes down there and Steven is about to kill Martin, but Anna, Anna talks him out of it. Yeah. So we get a scene of Kim talking to Bob. Um, Kim has clearly been listening to Martin. So she knows that Steven didn't kill him. And she says the exact same thing that Martin does, that if Steven kills Martin, it would be like killing four people with a single shot, which is word for word. What Martin tells Steven. Do you think that Martin told her what's happening like in private or did, did Steven yes. or Anna say, I feel like, I feel like Martin's like, Oh, by the way, like this is what's happening. Sorry. Martin and her are definitely on the same page about this. Except so uh, t- their future plans together. Well, their future <laughs> plans together are that she is going to go away and live with Martin. Um, she thinks she apo- those are the plans. She I feel like she hasn't him. talked about it, this with him at all. <laughs> She's just like, I'm going to live with Martin. Yeah. <laughs> She apologizes to Bob and tells him that he's the one who's going to be killed. And she's like, it's not your fault. We all love you. Um, Bob counters by telling Kim that his parents bought him a piano, that it's going to be delivered in the next month, and that he didn't tell her so as not to scare her. Um, This is is genuinely (laughs) 
darkly funny because it's so funny. I mean, I, Tier- Tierney, I don't know if you have siblings, but James, I know you do. This is something, especially yeah. at this age, this is totally something siblings would do oh, yeah. and have a conversation about. I can't say that oh, I would yeah. in this situation if I thought that we I was competing with my siblings to see who's going to die. Uh, but or maybe depending on would, what my age was, you but know. But would you not make like uh the stakes might not be the same, but the things that you're saying absolutely would be the same. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I um, think that's also part of why the sibling stuff always like when Kim can do something and then Bob can't, I think that's why it cracks me up. Yeah. It's, I'm like, this is relatable. Yeah. Whether Kim you're tells... Bob or you're Kim. Yeah. yeah. Are you a Bob or are you a Kim? That's the next Cosmo quiz. <laughs> oh, man. I'm probably a Bob, even though I'm the oldest of five. I'm probably yeah, a Bob. Yeah, I think I'm a Bob. Yeah. So Kim tells Bob that she's lost two MP3 players in the last 10 days um, and asks, can I have your MP3 player when you're dead? Please. She asks, please. And she's smoking during this entire scene. <laughs> she is smoking a cigarette during, in her wheelchair, blowing it out the window. It's like she's oh almost made God. peace with this. Like I, the the way that she is reacting, her especially, like Bob's young. I, I can't quite get my like, get the pulse of like what someone Bob's age would do if they, he was aware of this scenario happening but Kim has all the information and she is just like not acting like I would no he's wielding no. it yeah, 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 yeah exactly um Bob this is really sad but I imagine you monsters thought it was funny um Bob cuts <laughs> his hair oh my god come oh. on you two Bob of course no, I thought that was this is a competition. Is it is sad, it is but I still laughed. But it's sad. So Bob cuts his hair because before in the movie, uh, Stephen said that he didn't like how long his hair was. And if you notice, uh, the way he cuts his hair is kind of in a mirror to Stephen's haircut a little bit. Um, and he does. It I to don't make know if I noticed hat. that it was look, like looking like his dad. Yeah, it's like kind of a like mirrored cut, but shaggier. Because because Stephen mentions earlier, he's he like how Bob Bob needs a haircut, and I feel like Anna says like I like his hair long, and then he's just like doing this because in general his dad was like, you should get a haircut. Yeah, and he's like, look, yeah. I, di- I did it, <laughs> I did it, Daddy. Um, this also very funny. Stephen so visits funny. his his kid's school, <laughs> and he's asking the principal <laughs> which one of them is a better student. And the principal's like, well, I don't know. Bob did this. Kim did this. And then in the end, he asks him which he prefers between the two of them. And the principal <laughs> cannot cannot give him an answer. Oh, wait. <laughs> I think it's before this. Uh, Bob's like, Dad, I've been thinking a lot of this a lot. And I've decided I want to be a cardiologist. Cardiologist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's so much more interesting what you do. This is this is when, and I didn't catch this the first time. Well, I guess I didn't know this was about a Greek tragedy, so I wasn't listening for it anyway. But the, the school, the 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 principal or whoever that he's talking to mentions that Kim wrote a beautiful paper about the tragedy of Iphigenia or whatever. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he's like, um, do, do you especially, but like, do you especially like one of them more than the other? Like, if you had to choose between them, who would you say is the best? <laughs> <laughs> um so then again another sad moment anna brings kim and bob to see martin in the basement she tries to play a martin sense of sympathy she has the kids there but it does not work um she even goes so far as to kiss his feet 
Um, yeah. But again, he's not amenable to this. It does not move him. Martin just kind of staring off. Like, I feel like he doesn't see them. He's just staring straight through yeah. them is also yeah. not like laugh out loud funny, but just like funny. And also like, I just want to know what direction Barry Keown was given and what, I mean, throughout the entire movie, but then also what Barry Keown added because I was also, this is yeah. a tangent too, but I was thinking the exact same thing, rewatching Banshees of Inishirin. Aaron, did you watch that? Mm-hmm. No, I have not. Um, he makes like such, the, the choices he makes, in the, and I'm, I'm saying he makes these choices, I guess Martin McDonough might have, a lot of that might have been like in the writing and the direction, but. Depending on what the choices were, I know that he came to Martin and asked if he could play uh, his character mm-hmm. Dominic as if he was on the spectrum. So, okay. I, well, that's a great choice. And like the way that he, like his character in that movie, just like almost like doesn't make eye contact. He like, can't make eye contact with the person he's talking to. And he's like fidgety. And I, I, I don't know. But this, I don't know. I I, I, I would love to th- just imagine Barry Keown bringing more of this, the embodiment of Martin um, than Yorgos asked him to. Oh, that's where I think that, and that's where this really solidified my love of berries. I'm pretty sure he brought a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. After Which, seeing more things with he, him, I believe it. Yeah. No, I was just saying that he has like a slack, slack jawed, dead eyed stare in this oh. movie. And I feel like that's Barry versus Yorgos being like, please be scary here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know what Barry is doing, but Barry is killing it. That's for sure. He is killing it. Um, this scene also very funny. Um, Anna and Steven are together in bed. Uh, and Anna attempts to sleep with Steven. She again plays the knocked out naked woman card, which haven't we all right at one time or another. <laughs> um, and he basically just rolls over and turns off the lights. He is not into it. It is funny that she even she's playing the game. <laughs> Um, and then is this where she talks to him about killing the children? Is this where that uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So she tells him she's like, you know, it would make the most sense to pick a child because we can always have more. It's, it's. I mean, it's not like it's not illogical. I don't think that that's not what parents would do. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I would not do that if I had children. I've never had children, but I would rather die. None that you know of. No, I don't have any. (laughs) Um, So then we get a scene where Kim goes to talk to Martin one-on-one. She crawls very sadly and pathetically to Martin, which I'm sure James thought was hilarious. (laughs) He did. Um, did. He did. Um, Okay, but it's filmed in a way that's deliberate. It holds up her for so long. It does. does It's so intentional. It does hold on her. Um, She brings him a cigarette and tells him that, like, okay, (laughs) you can heal me now. Um, he doesn't say anything to her and nothing happens. So she becomes increasingly irate. She says, you need to try harder. You need to try harder. You're not trying hard enough. And she's throwing things at him as she is doing all this. But her condition does not change. And Martin could not, again, is like Barry just giving that, like, couldn't care less. Yeah. Look. Um, so Kim, we get a weird scene where Kim is asking Steven to be the one who is killed. Um, she's saying like, I would be so happy to die for you and my brother and my family who I love so much. Um, but this is after she has attempted to flee the house to the point where she's dragging herself on the pavement and cutting up her knees. 
Um, I didn't yeah. laugh at I didn't laugh at that one actually. But you're smiling now <laughs> because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, but the, I mean, at this point, like the whole family is completely falling apart under the pressure. They, none of them can take it anymore. Um, we get, is that funny too? Is this family falling apart funny to you? Jane? The entire like premise is funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the next morning, um, Mar- Stephen asked Anna, you know, Hey, have you tended to Martin yet? And Anna tells <clears throat> him that she has let Martin go. Steven is furious, but Anna kind of points out that there's really no point in keeping him prisoner. Like at this point, agreed it is, what it is and they have to kind of go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we get a scene of Anna tending to Bob with Kim being there. Kim apologizes for being rude earlier at the mall. And I love this. Um, she asked, so did you tell dad about it? And in this very like bitchy, like I've got one over you way, Nicole Kidman says, Of course I told your dad about it. Yeah. Um, which is like, are you again, they're in competition. It's like you're competing with your daughter over like these petty Life. things to see who's gonna live. This is like it's a the tiniest like nitpick. If I could change like one thing about this movie, other than maybe making the Kim and Martin scene a little bit less creepy, uh I would have had Anna more overtly competing with her kids as yeah. if she was like completely yeah. reduced to like their like it, it, there's just like a random pool. And I guess we kind of get that in a second, but like not like, you know what I mean? Just some some like where she like sabotages one of them or like tells a lie about <laughs> one of them. Just something like that. Yeah, she just push kicks Bob down the stairs. <laughs> Maybe not her. Maybe not to get Bob more. Sick. Yeah. Yeah. If like she so gets she, sick, yeah. She can't um, kick anybody, but yeah. But just for her Kim, being like just talking some shit about her kids. Just like, yeah, Bob and Kim were just like, they don't really love you anymore. Or even <laughs> after this scene, her being like, Do you remember when Kim was mean to me at the mall? Because <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah. Um, but speaking of uh, Anna being sick, Kim asked her, like, oh, is your back hurting or your mm-hmm. legs hurting? Has it started yet? And Anna slaps her across the face. She does not want to hear that. Yeah. Um, we get the scene the next morning of Bob. He's finally started bleeding from the eyes. So Stephen calls for a family meeting um, and he we see him call Anna. Anna tells him she'll wear that black dress he likes. And he's like, I don't give a fuck what you wear. Just get downstairs. <laughs> Can I just, um, uh, I wrote down a, a line that I love from the scene, which is when Bob's eyes start bleeding. He goes, dad, quick, Bob's dying. dying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it made me laugh again this time. <laughs> um, so he has all three family members duct tape to chairs in the living room uh, and uh, with their mouths and their bodies. And he bags them. He puts bags over their heads. <clears throat> Would one of you two like to explain Stephen's strategy for choosing <laughs> which person of his family will live and which will die? Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Sure, he um, decides to blindfold himself and basically do a pinata with, except with a gun. And instead of hitting a box, an animal for candy, he's spinning round and round and shooting at random and hoping that'll decide which person in his family he killed. (laughs) Yep, he sure does. 
he misses the first two times um but on the sh- third shot he hits poor shot upon bob right in the chest poor bob jesus so yeah uh, just two things about this scene so um the first time i i well both, both times i laughed uh but especially the first time i this was probably the no, the second heart. I still laughed at the men, the menstruating line the hardest because it was so unexpected. Uh, I laughed very hard at this, kind of like throughout the entire time. But the um, we I'm glad we don't get a scene of like him setting them up in this. But wh- why do they have duct tape? They seem like they are all willing participants. Like some of them literally can't move. Why is the duct tape? around them necessary it's such overkill no it's not it's so they can't flinch away what like you could still move like back and forth paralyzed from the waist down anna could oh yeah you're right i forgot about that part and like and i think it's just i I thought it's around their mouth and also around like their like shoulders and like chest which yeah. I don't think is accomplishing anything. I just imagine like that's Steven just being an idiot and like thinking that it's necessary. But yeah. my God, I, this, this seems so funny. I mean, there's the, no one could look at me and tell me that that scene wasn't intended to be funny. It was, oh, because it's yeah, the it most was... irrational solution <laughs> yeah. to the problem. And that well, was it's... the scene that Colin, Colin and I in the movie theater were cracking up. Yeah. The rest of the theater dead silent yep and people i think we're even looking at us like the fuck is wrong with them and colin has like a really unique laugh like these people are insane well i think part of it too is it's him abdicating responsibility again right Mm -hmm. like he won't accept responsibility for killing martin's parents he's not accepting responsibility for actually killing one of his family members here yeah. also arguably he makes the worst choice i mean not it's not that it's a choice it's a random but arguably bob is the least deserving of death would you say yeah. uh yeah he's yeah the most innocent and to the, the audience's eyes he's the only one who hasn't done anything wrong at all if you can count kim falling in love with martin against her yeah yeah which I, I guess I don't really like. I don't think she deserves to die more. But Bob well, is Bob is the purest. Uh, so we get one last scene. Is this the diner that? Um, yeah, same diner. It's the same diner. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same diner that Martin was obsessed with apple pie in. Uh, the family's eating at one of the tables, and they see Martin as he walks into the diner. Um, Martin and Kim share a look and she is so into him still <laughs> um, even after this and here's here's how I thought the movie ended for about two seconds I thought that Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell see the look between um, Kim and Martin and the last shot is them getting up and walking away but at first only Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman get up so I thought mm-hmm. it was them leaving, being like, fuck off, bye, go live with Martin, which I thought would be incredible. <laughs> incredible if robbed. that was how it ended. That would have been, uh, I don't know how I would have felt about that ending. Um, but they all leave together. There, And this is, we get a callback of fries, because Martin's mm-hmm. talking about eat, how he likes to say fries earlier in the diner scene, and they're eating, the family's eating fries. Yeah. 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 
don't so that really was... know the point of that, but yeah. The killing well, of, of course... a sacred deer. <clears throat> hmm? One I said that was the killing of a sacred deer. No, dear, what was Terry gonna say? Oh, she pours ketchup on him too, which could, you know, symbolize blood. Ooh, yeah. Spilled. Yeah. yeah. What a grinch of a film. <laughs> uh I can see that. And a hilarious yeah. comedy. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, um, should we jump into what works, what doesn't? Yeah. Uh, I'll go first. I I mean, as always, we kind of touch on this all throughout, but I'm just, you know, the dark humor really, really works for me. Um, I, I do have a line. I swear I do. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, just, I can't quite think off the top of my head where that line is, but I know I've, seen it before and i know that i've been like deeply upset by things that i've seen in movies uh this is not uh in that that realm uh this is playing pretty it's playing somewhat close but not really also like i'm pretty comfortable watching the majority of things in this movie i think it's pretty funny throughout uh definitely more like tense um and ominous than funny for sure and i know that's i mean obviously it's not it's not a comedy um and i but i do really think that it creates tension well i like i like the camera work in it i noticed that more this time a lot of like the kubrick parallels we were talking about um i i mean like again the dialogue and kind of how it keeps you detached everything tyranny said well both of you said about like the the nature of the dialogue i think really 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 works for the movie and helps set the mood um, the performances are all great. Um, delivering lines like this, I mean, I think like the screenplay is great too. Um, I read, I had, like twenty pages of it um, a couple of days ago. I meant to read the whole thing, but then I got distracted. Um, the score too, and I mean, the score isn't like doing anything like insanely special, but it, it it's it's perfectly adequate or better just for creating for helping create the mood. Um, yeah. Tierney, do you want to go? Sure. Um, one thing I thought, or, or I noticed this time that I thought worked really well is the first two acts are, uh, I would say, more like interesting or you're, like they're weird, but you're like trying to figure out what's going on and they're very tense. And I think that the payoff of having the third act be almost more, like way more overtly comedic um is such a release to the point where like when i think about this movie if i think about the earlier two acts i don't want to watch it necessarily but Mm. then if i think of the last act i'm like more interested in watching it because i i find the last act to be pretty funny um but it is such a it would not be funny if you hadn't had basically like an hour and a half of tense like tension and really just uncomfortableness (laughs) um but i think that that works uh i think that that works pretty well and it is like for me anyway like watching him spin around is such a release because it's just been like what's happening (laughs) for an hour and a half before that um and uh, I think the performances are, are really good. I don't think that this movie would work without uh, the performances, what they were. Um, and 
so a lot of things Jim's, Jim mentioned, like score and cinematography. Um, as far as what works, I think we've kind of already, or what doesn't work will be stuff we've already like touched on, which is like some of the weirdness could be dialed back. Yeah. Uh, whether it's between Kim and Martin or uh, Stephen and his wife or <laughs> Stephen and Martin. Um or just like a little bit less creepy would be great. Yeah. A little uh, less of the pedophilia vibe. Yeah. Which I've always seen as like a red herring as like a, yeah. this is what you think it's going to be, but then it ends up being that he killed his dad. Um, but it'd be great if it was dialed back just a scotch uh, <laughs> while still maintaining that tension. Yeah. Um, but yeah. How about you? I'll echo everything you guys said about what works. Um, yeah, there's really not much else to say. What doesn't work, um, the third act is such a kind of rocket sled to the finish. Um, I wish the first two acts were a little bit less plotting, maybe, um, and trimmed down. But, I mean, that's kind of a minor nitpick. Um, I wouldn't even really take too much out, because I, I don't think there's a scene that you could necessarily remove, but just some way to streamline it. Mm. yeah that's fair yeah make your outline a lot easier (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right so if this was a video game this was really hard this was very difficult this was like the hardest one we've ever done (laughs) yeah this Uh, is a weird i mean this is a weird movie in general like this yeah what did Uh, you come up with aaron I came up, this is total headcanon fan fiction stuff, but I just came up with like a game where Martin's a super soldier and you're using powers to kill people because I don't know what else to do. You can't like really mirror. Well, yeah, you can't mirror the story. Really. It's hard to figure out games like whether we should try to like come up with a game that mirrors the story or is like somewhat adjacent to it. And I'm not that we are like we have to do one, any one of those things anytime. It's fun to see when we can come up with a good way to like do something adjacent, but I actually did come up with something that follows the story and it's, it feels like a cheat though. Like I'm thinking like a text-based adventure. Did you ever play those like for Atari or like even like MS-DOS? Like I played. Yeah, I played MS-DOS ones as a kid. I thought that sometimes that they were so creepy, even if they weren't intended to be, because you can't see anything. I mean, it's like reading. It's like reading a creepy book, but you don't like your decisions. It's like a choose your own adventure type thing. Do you ever like read those choose your your own adventure books? And you're like, you make a choice and then it's like, oh, you fell, got impaled on a spike in a pit. (laughs) And you're like six year old brains like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. I can't (laughs) believe I just died. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just I don't know. I was imagining like a text based adventure, like or like a almost like a I don't know. It's hard. It's this hard to think about. This like, one's I, hard. I just imagine like your Bob in the game and like the text just some some like says like your legs don't work. You try everything you can, but your legs do not work. And like just narrating that like as if you're Bob and I'm, how uncomfortable that would make me to like it be a really intense game, I think. Um. But like, if you're not going to do like one of those like text-based adventure type games, which it's again, those are mostly all done in this like a fantasy situation, not like in a family psychological horror. Um, something like those Telltale games, 
where yeah. like you're making decisions as you go though i don't know what the like what the alternate outcomes would be because those games you every decision you make affects the thing that happens next and the story does kind of end in the same way but a lot of different branches can occur i don't really know what those branches would be in what what, what, what makes a, like a lick of sense in this movie i don't either because it's implied that even if you kill martin all the things are still going to happen right like it would so, make yeah, it would make sense to have like killing Martin. All the only choice that actually makes any difference, or like, is like which which family member do you kill? But like, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about like how, as you're progressing through the story of the film, but like in a video game, like how does that even manifest itself? I it's, I this is the least video gaming movie we've ever oh, done. Yeah, by far. Um, I don't have much video game experience other than like Nintendo 64. So the first two thoughts that I had were something like Star Fox, where you have uh, like the emperor at the end is just Martin. Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> I love one, that. One that I, one that I just thought of was like uh, Super Mario, where you have um, like for Nintendo 64, where you collect stars along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think you're doing good all along the way and maybe you find out like um i don't know bowser whoever the evil person uh like you start to learn more about like oh actually i betrayed that person in some capacity Mm. and that's why they're mad at me and so you're like getting all these like doing all these little meaningless tasks (laughs) like, like getting a watch or whatever and then um at the end is when you would find out like maybe you have to kill Pete or something. <laughs> yeah. I I guess uh, also thinking about it, you could do like a psychonauts type deal, like go do a level in each person's head like, oh, based on what they're okay. going through. Yeah. You could do that. Mm-hmm. I will say I would love to play Super Martin 64. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like in the N64, how they have like, you like the in Goldeneye, like it's just like this blob with like a Pierce Brosnan, like an image of Pierce Brosnan's head, just like really horribly, like, or, like put on top of that. Just have mm-hmm. like Barry Keoghan's like goofy looking face in this movie on like a, uh, you know, a polygonal like, an, like yeah. Mario model. It would actually work <laughs> oddly well. It would look a lot like Martin in the movie. <laughs> And like maybe maybe that's the maybe that's also the solution is just like have a game where you play as Martin and you there's it doesn't tie to the game. It's just like you just jump around collecting things as Martin. <laughs> I would also play that. Yeah. Um, would we I think we can agree. This... It's a hard one to do. This is a yeah. damn hard one to turn into a video game. Would we uh, would we want to live in this world? No. no, nah. no. If people Pass. like Martin are, are walking around, I don't think so. Or whatever is happening to Martin. If you want to go down that road, I, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, fan fiction corner. What did you find? Uh, there's a lot of smut as always. Uh, it's funny. Like even for a movie like this, which I actually expected to see next to no fan fiction. We've got, uh, I've I found four different ones that are just, graphic martin and steven banging i hated it yeah i didn't read every single one of them but like you can tell you know you you got the uh the um the keywords the additional tags right the um, tags yeah. are always the best the one that i f- i found 
that I thought was fascinating. It's not really, it's it's not really killing of a sacred deer fan fiction. Uh, it is <laughs> it is about Colin Farrell and Ezra Miller being friends. <laughs> And Colin is staying with Ezra Miller while filming the killing of a sacred deer. And Ezra is not happy about that. Very specific. (laughs) It's very specific. Uh, Ezra Miller is less than thrilled with Colin's new look. And unfortunately, they almost can't help but let him know just how disappointed they are with him. I don't (laughs) I don't really know um, there, but there is some. Ezra Miller and like some really poorly um, CG'd or, you know, like there's just Ezra Miller, like in Colin Farrell, like kissing. It's it's <laughs> it's someone drew it. It's, it looks horrible. It's really bad. I'm going to read some tags. Was it Ezra? Did he uh, write it? Did he write it? He, he may. <laughs> I don't know we if they know. did. Um. So, OK, let's see. Non-monogamous relationship. Colin Sager deer look. Ezra Miller is their own warning non-binary character who unfortunately happens to be kind of a douchebag <laughs> Same, some sex, but it's not the focus of the plot clothed, clothed sex, light daddy kink. Ooh. Alan Farrell really, really needs a hug. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I, this is the only one of the fan fictions I saw that stood out. What did you find Aaron? I found this one mainly because of the tags. Uh, it's called Lover Destroyed. Okay. Okay. Would you like to hear the tags? I would love to. Stephen Murphy, Martin, Martin Lang. Why does no one know his full name? It's literally in the movie that his dad's name is Jonathan Lang. Anyways, <laughs> underage relationships, heterosexual behavior between two straight men, which what does that mean? <laughs> Does that mean you're both having sex with women in front of the other? What is heterosexual <laughs> behavior between two straight men? Bros. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was my title while I was working on it. I guess this also includes the scene where Martin bites off his arm. So like beware, I guess. Those are the tags. <laughs> I'm honestly shocked there's any fan fiction to begin with. Maybe um, I was shocked yeah. too. I didn't expect any. And there is a shocking amount and it's almost all smut. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why fan fiction? Yeah, it is, but like the amount of fan fiction that we have seen in doing this segment and the amount of like the things that give people inspiration, people are like, I want I just you know what I really need to see so badly is people are just like I, I this killing of the sacred deer. I just want to see Colin Farrell's character and Martin's character hang out with Sonic the Hedgehog so badly. Yes. Like that's the kind of fan fiction that I want. And that's the <laughs> fan fiction you see from a lot of people. Like, people are like, you know what? I really need to, to I, this Sonic the Hedgehog game. I loved it so much. I need to write like a 12 chapter book about Sonic having lunch with tails one day. <laughs> a lot of it is like very <laughs> good. Sonic the Hedgehog like, related. I think I've just cracked fan fiction, both the smut kind and the non smut kind. Fan fiction is just taking all these people and making them action figures and just making them do things in your own head, mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. innocent or completely filthy. Yeah. I would do one of uh, maybe after this movie's over and Martin is at peace, he uh, becomes a competitive eater. 
<laughs> well, for spaghetti. Yeah, hot dogs. Yeah. Anything. He would. God, he would have. And it's like this, like fun loving, like PG PG thirteen, like type story of just mm-hmm. Martin, just so happy, like as if none of this happened. It never gets brought up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, my fan fiction would be uh, the 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 ending is the way I thought it was that they leave Kim to be with Martin. And my fan fiction would be five years later. No, maybe 10 years later. They have two new kids. Their kids are like 10 and eight. And they find artifacts of the old kids that they were never told about. <laughs> and that they uncover the mystery of what happened. <laughs> so it's told from the kid's perspective. Like it's like a little detective yes. story. Actually, that'd be yes. a good like Goosebumps book. Treasure. That would be a great Goosebumps <laughs> book. Like, sorry, we had this killing of a sacred deer, your little brother. And then... Your older sister fucked off with Martin, and they would be like, "Well, wait, who's Martin?" <laughs> wait, isn't there? Is there not a Goosebumps book that talks? It's like the parents have like a secret, and like they have another child. There's, there's, I am your evil twin, I which is a Goosebumps. That that's a Goosebumps two thousand. Oh, I, you know what I was thinking of? I was thinking of Vampire Breath when the parents are like, oh, by the way, we're vampires. But for some reason, oh, I thought like yeah. maybe they also had like a vampire kid that they didn't tell their other kids about. Yeah. Never well, mind. No, no. Guess I'll have to reread all of Goosebumps to find out. They're all on my Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but all yeah, right. I, don't, oh, my, I don't really have like my, my fanfic. I don't want to know anything more about Martin in general, like in the mythology of the story. But I would like the the competitive eater one because that doesn't even touch the the lore of the story, which <laughs> should not be touched. Um, yeah, I don't I I don't even know what I would do with. I I think I don't want to know more information about this world really, mm-hmm. so it's hard to do a fan fiction that isn't. It has to be. It would have to be silly, and I can't really think of a silly one. There shouldn't no be fan fiction for this though. Is my answer to that question? I don't no. think this. I don't yeah. think this is a world that needs fan fiction. No. Um, what has everyone been up to? What's been going on? Um, Miranda and I rewatched the Mummy. Because which one? The first one. Okay. Not the Boris Karloff one. Sorry, the Brendan Fraser. Well, which Fraser. one? Bor- Boris Karloff, Brendan Fraser, Tom Cruise. Brendan Fraser. I've never okay. seen the Tom Cruise one. I never will. Um, we started rewatching Veep. Um, and I forgot that it's like I I think it's really funny, but it's like it goes to a whole nother level in like seasons three or four onward. I feel like the first two seasons are not like as uproariously like three jokes per thirty seconds or fifteen seconds as like the later seasons. Um. We're always kind of like rewatching episodes of Archer. I think I really like I, I was telling Miranda the other day that if I could have like if I if I could have written for a show when it was in its prime, I would have probably wanted to write for like Veep or Archer. And then the only thing that those have in common is just their shows about people being really mean to each other constantly. <laughs> so maybe I feel like that's in my wheelhouse, but that's might just be not true. Maybe you're a kid. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm a Kim. Take um, that quiz again. Uh, <laughs> um, I rewatching True Detective season one again because I can't. I love that season so much. Um, warts and all. 
Uh, and then I rewatched or I watched the last two movies of like that I wanted to see in 20 in 2022. Uh, and that's The Whale, another Brendan Fraser and Women Talking. I thought Women Talking was good. I thought The Whale was every for every like moment. I was like, man, Brendan Fraser is really good. The movie just did something like fucking hated so much. Um, but Still not worse than the Fablemans, that's for sure. Well, thank God for that. Aaron, I really want you to watch the Fablemans. We can do it as an episode. No. Okay. No. I'd rather do Cats again. Let me just put it that way. I would do Cats again at the drop of a hat. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> I truly would. Should we just do Cats every 10 episodes and just have a new guest? Yeah. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. Um, yeah. Tierney, what have you been up to? Um, I also have been rewatching Veep. I'm on season two. Um, uh, mostly I'll watch it after uh, The Last of Us because I need to be able to sleep at night. Need a palate cleanser. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which I'm only, I'm only on episode two of The Last of Us. I haven't even watched the one that made everyone cry. Oh. Um, I know. Um, tomorrow I'll watch it tomorrow night. Um, and then I've been watching Narcos. Uh, as well um which is really good uh and i was like a couple episodes in when i said this on uh my podcast and i said plug it like well i i was like um pablo escobar is actually was like the most compelling character uh and then literally went to watch the next next episode and then the next three episodes were him just doing truly reprehensible (laughs) shit (laughs) i'm like of course of course i was like well he's actually a compelling character (laughs) and then and then just goes on to do horrible things um but it's really good uh and uh it's a good watch and i think that's really it um in terms of i don't think i've watched any movies this week no just just, just a lot of narcos (laughs) What about reading? Um, I started reading a book. Uh, it's a collection of short stories uh, called Antarctica by Claire Keegan, who's done a couple of short stories. I love her. She's a Irish author. She actually wrote the short story that um, The Quiet Girl, the mm-hmm. foreign language film yeah. that's nominated, is uh, based on. You like that movie, I'm assuming? I did. The book is much better. Okay. But, yeah. It was, I mean, it's a delightful story. It's a, mm. it's a novella, I would say, and I would say it's perfect. Is it like a happy movie or a sad movie? I don't know anything about it, other than it's uh, supposed to be really good. <clears throat> both. Um, like, I re- at least the book, I feel like I experienced the whole, like, breadth of human emotions reading it. Oh, wow. Um, and then the movie is, like, mostly happy. Um it's like a bittersweet happy. Okay. And I'm not going to say anything about the ending. Okay. I'll probably, I probably will see the movie. Aaron. Yeah. Um, what have I been up to? I've been playing dragon quest eight. Uh, we both, oh, yeah. Have been doing that too. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I beat fire emblem awakening. So in the last like three weeks, I've beaten three fire emblem games, uh, which is congratulations. Staggering. <laughs> Um, and continuing to reread one piece, uh, I, they just got Sanji on the crew 
and they're headed towards my favorite arc of all time, Nami's arc. Uh, the of arc. all time, of all anime and manga, period. It's up there. It's it's way up there. I love I love Nami before she just becomes a pair of walking tits. Um, mm-hmm. I love her story with Bell Mayer. I love Arlong. I love it all. So I'm it excited really, for it. It's a good story. I yeah. get like I get why you love One Piece so much because I do too. I just can't understand rereading a hundred or one thousand and like eighty issue manga that's still going. I know, but I'm gonna stop. Uh, I'm gonna stop with the time skip. I'm not re- oh, right. I'm definitely. I'm not rereading uh, all of Wano. Absolutely not. Okay. Gotcha. No, no, no. Cool. Bye. No. We have to say yeah. thank you to Tyranny first, Aaron. Oh, yeah. You're right. <laughs> thank you for having you're me, right. guys. No, yeah. Thank you thank so you much for, for being here. And thank you for uh, laughing with me uh, and not leaving me <laughs> alone to laugh uh, and <laughs> be judged by Aaron. And have me yell at you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, can I plug your pod? I'll oh, call sure. It pod. Uh, so yeah, it's really weird saying podcast. I'm not gonna lie. I well, I mean, I, I can't. I can't take your thing. You have a pod. Everyone else has a pod. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, Tyranny's podcast. Um, another film podcast. P o b c a s s. Uh, is delightful and I love it. And it's not just because I love all three of the hosts uh, and think they're really funny and insightful people. Uh, I think it's just a very, very good uh, podcast. I've never listened to it actually ever, but yeah. uh, on <laughs> record very... is, that is never listening. They only have one listener, Aaron. They, they, and I, I don't want to listen because I don't want to take that away from them. I don't want to be no. their second listener. You know, no, just like we, we have two listeners, and they're me and you. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna say like our moms or something? No. <clears throat> uh, I don't think my well mom's three like... for this episode. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no. but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, podcast and I really enjoy it. And I think that I am, despite the fact that I'm very biased, I think that it's just a really fun listen. And so, and Miranda agrees with me. Yeah. Yeah. Come for the tangents. Mm. That's what we do best. <laughs> <laughs> or that's what I do best. There are a lot of excellent, uh, excellent tangents. So yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And then we don't really have like a sign off. Okay. So bye.